Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. As you know, we are currently uh, considering uh, selected psalms, some of the the highlights of, of the Psalter. And today we come to Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is arguably the most known a well-known scripture in all of the Bible. People who really have no knowledge or no familiarity with with the Bible probably would recognize uh, the opening words of of Psalm 23. This is a very uh, famous psalm, a very well-known psalm, and it's been a beloved psalm throughout the ages of the church. So please turn your attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, But the word of our God stands forever. May he write this word upon our hearts this morning. I am with you. These are the words that that we desire to hear from those who are closest to us when we are going through difficult circumstances, seasons, or situations in life. Now we know that those who are closest to us, a spouse, family members, church members, friends, pastors, elders. We know that during the difficult seasons of life, these individuals ordinarily can't fix our troubling situation or solve the problems that we find ourselves in, nor do we really expect them to. Rather, our desire is for them to be present during these times of our life. We desire them to be present as a source of comfort, as a source of encouragement, as, as a source of camaraderie. Now, one mark of, of, of Hebrew poetry is that oftentimes the, the central thrust or the central message or uh, the thesis statement, you could say, is oftentimes found in the middle of the poem. And this is true in Psalm 23. So what is Psalm 23 all about? Well, David very wonderfully and concisely summarizes what Psalm 23 is all about with five words in verse 4. For you are with me. This is the main punch of Psalm 23. This is what Psalm 23 is all about. It's God's presence with his people. 
Now, if we desire the, the presence of those closest to us in our human relationships during uh, the difficult seasons of life, how much more so are we in need of God's presence during the ups and downs of life? So this psalm is all about the presence of God among his people. For he is with me. Now, uh, this idea of God's presence, this is something that is, is invoked by, by many people in our culture. God be with you. God bless you. Many people invoke these words from various religious traditions, beliefs, practices. And, and this, this idea, this concept can very easily become watered down. It can become just a very shallow, uh, a well-wish, well-wishing statement uh, that people use uh, today. Well, this statement, this concept of God's presence is not a shallow statement according to Psalm 23. Rather, it is very theologically robust and biblically rich. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to uh, just to, to begin to, 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 to plumb some of the depths of this concept of God's presence among his people. And this idea is going to guide our consideration of Psalm 23. How? How is God present among us? What does it mean for God to be present among his people? Well, the first thing that we learn here in Psalm 23 is that God is present as our covenant God. Or to put it another way, God relates to us by way of covenant. Now you'll notice that the opening words of this psalm say, the Lord is my shepherd. Now when you come across this title of Lord in all caps, this is reflecting the, the Hebrew name Yahweh. So when you come across the title Lord in all caps, this is reflecting the Hebrew name Yahweh. And this name refers to how God is a God who establishes and keeps his covenant. This refers to how God relates to his people by way of a covenantal relationship. And a covenant is essentially an oath-bound commitment. God makes an oath-bound commitment to his people. Now, theologians sometimes refer to this covenant of grace that is established in Genesis 3.15, where God promises to save his elect people through the seed of the woman. And this, this, this promise of Genesis 3.15 is sort of the umbrella that encompasses the rest of Scripture. It's this covenant of grace. And so God relates to his people by way of a covenantal relationship. That's what this, this, this title Lord is referring to. Yahweh. Now, whenever you hear, meet someone new, uh, whenever you learn a new baby's born and you learn of, of the new baby's name, you immediately like or dislike the name. We all do this. And your liking or disliking of the name is tied to a past association you have had with that name. You have known someone with that name, and you've had either a positive or negative experience with that person. And that, that skews your view of, of the name of the person you have just met. Well, when David invoked the name Yahweh, when David thought of, of this name, Lord, in all caps, he thought of a very significant moment in Israel's history. He was thinking of Moses 
and the burning bush. That event was the first time God refers to himself as Yahweh, as Lord in all caps, as this God who establishes and keeps his covenant. And in that passage, God continues to explain what this title means when he describes himself as I am, or I will be who I will be. And what God is saying in that passage is not only that he is a God who establishes and keeps his covenant, but he's also saying that he is a God who cannot change. Theologians sometimes refer to this idea as the simplicity of God. God is not composed of parts and passions. God does not have a body and a soul that are subject to change, subject to decay. God does not have emotions that ebb and flow. God is, and because God is, it is impossible for him to change. The reason why you can trust God's promises that are given to you is because of who he is. We change. Our opinions change. Our mind changes. Our affections change. Our character change. Our, our bodies change. And because we are a people in constant flux, our word is inherently unreliable. But not so with God. God is. I will be who I will be. And thus we can, have, uh, we can place our firm and hearty confidence in the promises that we receive from him in his word. Therefore, when David begins this psalm and says, the Lord is my shepherd, what he's saying, he's saying, the God who establishes and keeps his covenant is my shepherd. The God who does not change is my shepherd. That's what David is saying. Yahweh is my shepherd. And so what does it mean for God to be present? Well, it means that he relates to us by way of a covenant. And we can trust all of the promises that he gives to us in this covenantal relationship because of who he is. Well, how does God reveal himself within this covenantal relationship? Well, here we see that the, uh, David calls this Lord his shepherd. David makes use of this metaphor of, of a shepherd. Now, we know that David himself had very intimate experience with shepherding. He was a literal shepherd. Before God called him to be king over Israel, he was a literal shepherd, a, a herdsman. And God then called him from the pasture and set him as king over all of Israel. Now, in the ancient Near East, uh, kings routinely were referred to as shepherds. So David not only was a literal shepherd, he also was a metaphorical shepherd. He was a royal shepherd. God called him from shepherding sheep uh, to shepherding his people Israel. So David was very, very well acquainted with this metaphor, this idea of shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, remember a few weeks ago, we, we considered how God in his revelation accommodates himself to us. And oftentimes when we, we hear these descriptions about God, especially these, these descriptions that are very human-like, uh, this is like God stooping down and speaking uh, to us as three-year-olds. 
God speaking in metaphors and analogies so that we can have some knowledge of who he is. And therefore, we, we have to realize God's not a literal shepherd, but there are some very, very important principles and points that God is wanting us to take away from this metaphor that he is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What does this mean? Well, this means, first of all, that our God is a personal God. He relates to you personally. This is the most intimate metaphor that David has used thus far in the Psalter. David has already referred to God as a rock, a refuge, a shield, a fortress, a king. Those are great metaphors, but they're not that personal, not that intimate. This metaphor of a shepherd is is the most intimate of metaphors that David has thus far employed. A shepherd knows his sheep very well. Now, growing up on a, a relatively small dairy farm, 90 to 100 cows, I remember as a kid, I was amazed at how well my dad knew his herd. He named every cow. He knew the, the medical history of, his, of, of, of the herd. He, I could point to a cow, and he knew the, the milk production that cow has, has been putting forth recently. I remember being amazed. Like, how does he remember all of this stuff? But... Every herdsman knows, is very well acquainted with his herd or his flock. And that's part of what this imagery is meant to convey. And, and if you were living in the times of David or even the first century, you would have known how personal a shepherd knew his flock. Furthermore, David says, this is my shepherd. It was customary in Israel. The Israelites would refer to God not in, in this first person pronoun, uh, singular pr- pronoun, but in the plural. He's our God. And so this would have been somewhat unusual for David to say, the Lord is my shepherd. God is a God who personally relates to his people. But we also know that our God, our shepherd, is a shepherd who cares, cares for his sheep. You'll see that Psalm 23 continues and says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And leads me beside still waters. Now in Canaan, uh, during a winter and springtime, uh, the pastures would be lush. They would be green. Food would be plentiful. Sheep would not have to go searching for food. However, in the summer, things would dry up. And food would become a bit more scarce. And, and the sheep would have to work a little bit to find, to find their food. And so here, David is saying that being in the pasture of Yahweh is, is, like, is like being in, in, a, in the pastures of Canaan during the wintertime and the springtime. God provides uh, an abundance for his people. As one commentator says, uh, God's care is not seasonal, but constant and abundant. That's, this is what, what, what David is is referring to, and he goes on and he says that, 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 that the Lord leads him in paths of righteousness. A shepherd never would, would, would lead his sh- uh, sheep aimlessly, but rather a shepherd would be intentional in the direction that he's leading his flock. The shepherd had a, a particular destination in mind, and oftentimes this destination meant that they would have to go through valleys of deep darkness. Valleys that seemed like the valley of the shadow of death. Now what Dave is referring to here is that in Canaan there, there were these ravines with high, steep rock walls. And these rock walls would cut off light. And so when you go through these ravines, it would be dark. 
there'd be predators lurking behind the boulders. But the shepherd knew he needed to get through these ravines in order to arrive at his intended destination. And therefore, it's in these deep, dark ravines that the sheep took much comfort in the staff and rod of their shepherd. The rod would be this implement that the shepherd would, would use to, to, to uh, 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 ward off predators. And then the staff would be used to discipline the sheep, those sheep who seek to wander from the fold. And David, David no doubt would have been quite familiar with the staff of his shepherd. Think of when David sinned with Bathsheba, when David murdered Uriah, and the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to wield his staff. Nathan the prophet comes to bring David to repentance, to rebuke him, and David submits himself to the staff of his shepherd. David confesses his sin, and this confession is recorded for us in Psalm 51, which is one of those psalms of confession that we ordinarily recite during our corporate worship services. And this likely is what David was thinking of when he was thinking about how his shepherd's rod and staff comforts him. And so we see that the Lord, the Lord is a personal shepherd who cares, guides, and protects his sheep. This is how David is describing his God. Now, Yahweh's shepherding ministry finds its fulfillment in Christ. It's, it's beautiful when we come to the New Testament and we turn to a place like John chapter 10 and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Think about that. Christ as the good shepherd personally knows his sheep. Christ knew what David was doing when he was referring to the Lord as his shepherd. This metaphor denotes a personal care for the people of God. And therefore Christ says, I am the good shepherd. My own know me and they know me. Or I know them and they know me. Think about the other metaphors that Jesus uses to describe his people. He refers to his people not only as his sheep, but as his body, as his bride, as his branches. These are some of the most intimate relationships that we know in this natural world. The relationship between a husband and a wife. The relationship between a physical head and the rest of its members. The relationship between a vine and its branches. There's a clear delineation between uh, those who are in and those who are out. There's your wife and there's every other woman. There's your body and there's every other body. And this is one of the reasons that we practice church membership. Because under shepherds are called a shepherd in light of how the chief shepherd shepherds. And the chief shepherd shepherds in a very personal way and thus his under shepherds are also called to shepherd in a very personal way and know those for whom they are accountable for. When John chapter 10 Christ goes on he says I'm the good shepherd I lay down my life for the sheep. Remember what David says in Psalm 23 your rod and staff they comfort me. Ordinarily, a shepherd would take out that rod and fend off the predators. Now, Jesus, he protects us from our greatest predators. But he doesn't do it through a physical sword. He doesn't do it through a club. 
He does it by laying his life down. (laughs) Think of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. When Peter seeks to unsheathe his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. A physical sword isn't going to protect you from your greatest predators. If you want protection from your greatest predators, I need to lay my life down. So Jesus lays his life down in order to protect us from the wrath of God, from our sin, and from the evil one. And therefore, when we think of this idea of the rod, the rod of the shepherd in relation to Christ, this is a statement of the gospel. This is a statement of Calvary. When Christ lays his life down so that we would be definitively protected. But Christ also wields his staff as the good shepherd. In Matthew 18, which is the uh, the passage where we see these steps of church discipline, where someone sins, uh, go to him one to one. If that doesn't bring repentance, bring two or three. If that doesn't bring repentance, then uh, tell it to the elders of the church and then let him be to you a tax collector. Well, right before that, Jesus tells this parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus presents himself as this good shepherd who leaves the 99 to rescue and cause to return the one wandering sheep. This is the staff of Christ. Christ seeks to correct us, rebuke us, train us in the righteousness of his law. And therefore we are called to delight in God's law. We are called to yearn and desire to hear the law of God, the law of God which we hear every Lord's Day and feel the conviction that the law brings. So we see that Christ is our good shepherd. He lays his life down for his sheep. He protects his sheep. But we also see that he, this protection is not for a moment. Uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus says that we as his sheep are in the palm of his hand and no one or nothing can snatch us from that hand. Remember in Psalm 23 how how the shepherd would have to lead his sheep through these valleys of deep darkness in order to get to his intended destination? Well, we know that we are secure. We know that Christ will bring us to our intended destination, which is the resurrection from the dead and the new creation. However, we know the path to that new creation is the path of suffering. It's the valleys of deep darkness. And in those valleys of deep darkness, we can be assured that we're safe in the palm of our good shepherd's hand. Well, we see that God, God in Christ, is the chief shepherd. Yahweh is revealed as a shepherd in the Old Testament. Christ, then, is revealed as the chief shepherd when we come to the New Testament. But in both Testaments, we, we see that God and Christ, they, they routinely employ under-shepherds. Uh, to shepherd in their stead. Moses, David, the leaders of Israel, these are under-shepherds. We see in the New Testament, Christ ascends into heaven and he employs apostles and ordinary pastors and elders to shepherd in his stead. Now we have to be cognizant of the cultural mindset and milieu in which we operate. We live in a very individualistic society. We live in the age of the psychological self, an age in which institutions no longer really possess authority, 
Rather, institutions merely exist to be a platform for us to express our opinion, for us to express our most authentic self. They no longer exist as a means of transformation to mold us, to shape us. And so, as those who live in this cultural mindset, we have to realize we're all implicit in this mindset as American Western Christians. And so, it's easy for us to hear how God in Christ is our shepherd. But what's more difficult for us to stomach is the fact that Christ has commissioned under shepherds who are given the authority to wield the keys of the kingdom, the rod and staff of Christ, the law and the gospel. That Christ instituted a visible, organized, institutional church here on earth. It's really interesting that Matthew chapter 18, that chapter I referred to previously, which is uh, the passage where we learn about those steps of church discipline. At the conclusion of that passage, Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. Now that verse oftentimes is invoked to refer to how when Christians informally gather, Christ is present among them. But in context, Christ is saying, I am present in those bodies of believers who formally gather where there are under shepherds who possess authority to wield the keys of the kingdom. That's what that verse means in context. And therefore, Christ as our shepherd promises to be present specifically in the context of the local church. Christ as our shepherd desires to care for his sheep in the context of the local church. And so, how is God present among us? Well, he's present by way of covenant. And in this covenant, he reveals himself as our shepherd. Now, we see in the conclusion of Psalm 23 that David switches metaphors on us. God, who is a shepherd, becomes the host of a great banquet. Uh, this is the imagery that we have in verses 5 and 6. This is the image of, of God hosting this great banquet in which his enemies are present as his captives. Now, throughout the scriptures, we see that covenants ordinarily are ratified and renewed through meals. This is true in interhuman covenants as well as divine and human covenants. So, for instance, in Genesis 31, Jacob and Laban enter into a covenant and then they share a meal together. Exodus 24, God establishes this covenant with the people of Israel and he calls Moses, Aaron, the 70 elders to go up Mount Sinai and eat a meal in his, pre in his presence. Jesus raises that glass the night before in, uh, he dies and says, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. He's speaking about the new covenant over the context of a meal. When Jesus returns and consummates the new crea creation, he's going to host this great marriage supper of the Lamb. Why is there this connection between covenants and meals? Well, meals signify what has been established in the covenant. Peace. There are peace between the two parties of the covenant. So, when we celebrate together the supper, the Lord's Supper. We are reminded that God relates to us by way of covenant and he keeps his covenant because of who he is. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that God in Christ is our shepherd and thus he knows us personally and intimately and promises to nourish our souls. 
as surely as we eat of this bread and drink of this wine. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that God is present among us through his spirit. This is why we refer to uh, the Holy Supper as a capital S spiritual meal. God is present through the power of his Holy Spirit. And every time we celebrate this Lord's Supper, we are assured that God is renewing this covenant and all of these promises that we receive in this covenant during this moment. Thus, how is God present among us? He's present among us as he relates to us by way of a covenant, this oath-bound commitment. And in this covenant, he reveals himself as the chief shepherd, and is a gracious host. So the next time uh, you have the privilege of coming alongside someone who is struggling with uh, a difficult circumstance in life, someone who's going through a difficult season of life, uh, remember that that person desires your presence as a means of comfort, a means of encouragement, a means of companionship. But know most of all that the most encouraging words you can say to that person is that God is with you. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for uh, these words of David that have been passed down to us throughout the centuries. We thank you for the encouragement and comfort that we can draw from them. Uh, That you are indeed this gracious shepherd. That you sent your son into this world to be uh, the chief shepherd among over the Christian church. Uh, That we can be a 